Thank you, Pastor Paul. Wonderful to be here. And it was great. I was here on Saturday, and we did a seminar, and so many of you took the time to come. And I'm so grateful for the feedback I got. And Pastor Paul is a good friend of mine. This is a great church with some amazing leaders. So, as was mentioned, I was born in South America. I grew up in Argentina, where traffic lights are just a suggestion. I used to live at the corner of Suicide Avenue, and we run you over Boulevard. <laughs> when I went back to Argentina some time ago at the airport, security asked me if I had a gun, and I said no, so they gave me one. <laughs> That's not true, but it's funny anyway. <laughs> I want to talk about the need for, for passion in our lives. Nothing happens without passion. Passionate people are the ones that change society. Passionate people are the explorers that go where no one's been before, discover things. Passionate scientists, and you look at it, athletes that win Olympic medals, passionate about their faith. And our lives too, God talks about us living a passionate faith, a passionate life, and making a difference with our lives. And that is exactly what I want to talk about. This, this evening. I want to talk about Fanning the Flames, which is the title I was given for this talk. My wife, Diana, had a birthday just a few weeks ago in September, and so I bought her a big balloon, a helium balloon, humongous helium balloon, and I hid it in the garage, and so then when she'd gone to bed, I the night before, I tied it to a chair and, and had it so when she came down the stairs, there was this big helium balloon, happy birthday, and underneath were gifts and presents that I had for her. Very exciting. But the next day, this beautiful helium balloon was on the floor. <laughs> and you know, that's very much the way it is with us. There are times when we are full of excitement, enthusiasm, and there are times when it's gone out. I don't know where you're at this evening whether you're passionate or whether you're halfway to the floor, <laughs> or whether you once had a lot of passion and somehow it's, you've lost it or it's, you just don't have it right now. Passion in, in your marriage, in your relationships, in your job, in your ministry, in the things that you're about, passionate in life itself. So I want to talk about this from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, where Paul the Apostle is writing to Timothy, who he loves. He's a young Christian pastor by the name of Timothy, and Paul is his mentor. And so he writes uh, this wonderful word of wisdom to Timothy, but he's writing it to me too tonight, and he's writing it to you as well. And he says this, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. And, and the, the illustration is of a fire, that once was a fire, beautiful fire, giving off light and heat and, and exciting and all that, all the energy of a fire. But, but somehow the fire has died down, and now only the embers are left. And Paul says, I want to remind you to fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. Once it was great, but not so now. Why does he say, I remind you? Because we get distracted. We forget. 
we end up doing other things and focusing on other things and in our busy lives, we forget sometimes the things that are important. Passion for God, for the relationships that matter in our lives. And, and so Paul is saying to us, I remember to fan into flame. And the idea of fanning into flames means that if the embers are left from a fire that once was great, they can be rekindled. You can fan them back into flame. There's hope. Isn't that exciting? The balloon can go back up. There you go. In Isaiah, we see how passion and purpose is what our lives are to be about. That we live with a sense of significance. That we live knowing that this God has taken hold of us for a purpose bigger than ourselves. And that we're here, us little people, to make a difference. That God has placed gifts and talents and abilities within you, resources and opportunities, and you're living in the best country in the world. And we can be, if anyone, passionate and full of purpose for the things of God. And in Isaiah, it says this, but those who hope in the Lord, and, and the King James said, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. And that's my prayer this evening, that those of us that are here that might be a bit weary, might have lost our focus, maybe the balloon isn't as high as it was, that we will this evening not just come to one more meeting and sit there, you know, entertain me or something, but that we will say, God, God, I want that passion within me to be rekindled. I want to wait on you. And I want you, please, oh God, because that's a promise, to renew my strength, that I won't flop around, but that I will rise up with wings as eagles, that I will catch the wind of the Holy Spirit, and I will go to the heights that God has intended for me and accomplishes the purposes of God, which God has put in every one of us here. There's hope. There's hope. There's hope. So I'm going to talk about five ingredients for a life that's full of a passion. And in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, which is the scripture I'm going to base the whole message on, Paul again is saying this, but we have this treasure. Oh, by the way, he's writing to regular people. Are you a regular person? Okay. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And the illustration here, again, this time instead of talking about fires, he's talking about clay and jars, pottery. And he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay with the idea that you are like a clay and God took the clay, which is cheap mud, cheap mud, and he takes this worthless piece of mud, and he, the master craftsman, takes this, your life and mine, and he molds it, and he makes us all different. One is fatter, <laughs> some are thinner, okay? And he turns us into a bunch of crack pots. <laughs> the God takes that raw material, and he makes us into something, with the idea that he'll fill us with his purposes, with his passion, that we will make a difference in our lives. Isn't that exciting? And that's what God has done. He's given you all these resources. It starts, of course, with you knowing Christ for yourself. So if you're sitting here this morning, this evening, and you, you know about God, 
and, but you're wondering, could you know God for yourself personally? And you're sitting here wondering that. That's what brought you on a, on a Sunday night to this lovely church. Then you can leave here this evening saying, God, I, I want to put my hand in yours. I want to leave this building with you as my friend. And you can have your life changed. I came to Christ, as Pastor Paul mentioned, way back when I was 23 years old in Buenos Aires, Argentina. And in a church smaller than this one, I prayed, sitting right where you are, God, I don't understand all about faith, but I know that my life is broken. There's a hole in my heart. You know, I'm, I'm very successful on the outside, and I look cool. I did back then. <laughs> yeah. Okay, you know. Brad Pitt is just copying me. <laughs> oh, dear me. Okay. I wrote a book, by the way. It's called The Three Greatest Men in the World and How I Met the Other Two. <laughs> and I was sitting there, successful outwardly, but inside I was an angry young man brought up in an alcoholic, abusive home, broken, and I was there, 23 years old, trying to make it in the world. And I said, God, that I have no peace. I'm angry. There's something missing. And I, there's got to be more to life than this. Have you ever asked that? There's got to be more to life than this. And as I sat there, I said, what have I got to lose? I've never given my life to God. What have I got to lose? And I prayed a prayer that I'm going to lead you in later on in the service. And that prayer was a beginning on my relationship with God. But God has got all of us, and he's formed us so that we can fulfill his purposes, our destiny for our lives, so that we will live a life that's meaningful. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, I have come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. Christ came to give us a life that's worth living, a life that's got meaning and purpose greater than our own to make a difference. And you can know that life, and we can rekindle that life. So let's take a moment to look at the five things that I talked about, ingredients for a fulfilled life. So let's go to, to number one. I'm just going back. It's a number one. It's not about me. If you want a life of passion and purpose, the first thing you need to realize, that life is not about me. There was a, a flight going to Los Angeles, and the young lady gets on this flight, and she's very pretty, beautiful young girl in a really short miniskirt, which was more like a belt. <laughs> and this girl comes in, and she sits down in business class in the first class section. She sits down, and the flight attendant looks at her ticket and said, I'm sorry, ma'am, but this is for, for the back of the plane. You, didn't, you don't have a business class pass. And the girl said, I don't care. I am a talented person. I have incredible talent. I'm going to Los Angeles. I'm going to be a movie star. And my mom and dad think I'm incredible and wonderful. And I believe this is what I deserve. This, you know, I, this is it. I'm going to go first class. And they said, well, you can't. And she fights them. She said, I'm not moving. I'm going to L.A. in first class. I deserve it. They tell the pilot. The pilot comes along and goes up to her, and the pilot whispers in her ear. She gets up, and she goes to the back of the plane. And they say to the pilot, what did you say? He said, I told her that first class wasn't going to L.A.
But so many, so, so many of us in our world, life is about us. And I, in fact, this whole concept is countercultural. If you're a Christian, this is the opposite of what our secular world, all the ads tell you that you're worth it, you've got it. But look what it says here in the verse we're looking at, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, and it's not from us. Not from us. Look what he says in, a little further up. It says in verse 5, uh, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants. So he's saying, it's all about God and it's not about me. I'm just a servant. Right. Just a servant. That is all that I am. Just a servant. There was a, well, when I, I travel speaking at all sorts of events and Salvation Army has had me many times across the country speaking to all their officers doing conventions and conferences. And many years ago, maybe 25 years ago or so, I was in Calgary, and they put me up, because I was speaking in all these different cities across the country, and they put me up in a hospice, AIDS hospice, that the Salvation Army ran in Calgary. So all the people there were dying of AIDS, but the rooms were really nice. It was like a very nice little hotel room, and they put me in there for the night. And they told me that there was this fellow called Jeff, a committed Christian. And this committed Christian guy volunteered, and he was a good Christian, and he would come to the AIDS hospice because he felt compassion for these men, mostly men, that were dying, and, and they didn't, hadn't discovered the the cocktail of drugs that they now use. And so he was there, and these people were dying. He was trying to help them with dignity, and, and he gave of his time. Well, one day, this, this man who was a volunteer, he had a real job, and he was driving home. His name was Jeff, and he'd worked over 60 hours. He was tired, looking forward to coming home to his supper with his wife. And as he's driving along, he gets a call in his cell. It's Jim from the AIDS hospice. One of the patients says, it's terrible. I feel I'm dying. This is horrible. Jeff, you've got to come. You've got to come. You've got to come. You said you'd come, and you need to come now. And Jeff is, doesn't want to go, and he realizes it, but he feels he should go. He feels obliged. And so he says, I'll be there. And he turns the car around and tells his wife he's not going for dinner, and he drives to the, to the AIDS hospice with a really bad attitude, angry as mad. And, and he gets there, and sure enough, there is Jim, and Jim has fallen on the sofa in the living room of this hospital, and he's vomited, vomited and vomited, and there's a horrible smell of vomit and rotting things and all over the carpet and the floor, and, and, and this poor guy Jim is there coughing and coughing and saying, I need help, I need help, and, and so, so Jeff gets a bucket and a mop, and he gets on the floor, and he starts to get all this stinky, horrible, horrible vomit. And as he's doing it, he's complaining to God. God, you know, why am I doing this? You know, I already give up my time. Why should I be here serving this character? As he's doing this, cleaning up this horrible, stinky mess for Jim, a guy called Russ comes down the stairs. He's also an aid patient. And as Russ comes down the stairs, he sees Jim lying on the sofa, vomit everywhere. He can smell it rancid. And there is Jeff, the Christian guy, 
on his knees, a volunteer, cleaning up the vomit. And Russ says this, Oh, now I get it. I get it. I know. I understand. Jesus is just like Jeff. That evening, Russ committed his life to Christ. Why? Because here is a Christian who realizes that it is not about me. I am here to serve others and get down on the floor if I need to, to make a difference. And look, the man came to Christ because he saw something different that our world doesn't understand, that our faith is not about us. It's about him. It's not about me. Countercultural, revolutionary, but it's where passion starts. I'm going to give my everything to this God who gave his everything for me. Number two is it takes confidence. When you get to have this passion and to have the sense of purpose and to make a difference with your life, it, it takes confidence, not confidence in yourself, but confidence in God. Look what it says in that verse we were studying. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. We have, we have, we, we, maybe we're just little bits of pots made of cheap mud, but we have this treasure, this potential in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Not from us. Wow. We are created for purpose. A guy called Hudson Taylor, a famous missionary, said these words. He says, All God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on God being with them. They realized they didn't have it, but their confidence was in the God who they served and who walked with them. Isn't that cool? Wow, we can have confidence in this amazing God. Look what it says in chapter 4, verse 1. It says, therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. We have this ministry. You see, I have this ministry. You have the, every Christian, every Christian, every jar of clay has a ministry. Every one of them. God fills us with something that the world needs that we can give. Isn't that cool? And we have this ministry. So you have a ministry. Have you found your ministry? Do you know what it is that you need to do? And if not, you need to quickly find your ministry. Because every Christian needs to minister. I'm glad that, that this church offers people like came forward who give up their time. Like, like this guy Jim and Jeff. Jeff did for Jim. We have this ministry. Look what it says it says in Ephesians, it says, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. That, that God has prepared us for just such a time as this. Wasn't that cool? Wow. A guy called Major Ian Thomas, who started Cape and Ray Ministries, told this, this story that, that impacted me and many, many others, including a friend of mine called Luis Palau. And it was this, he said, when God wanted to change the history of Israel, in fact, the history of the world, he took a guy called Moses. And Moses was brought up in the Pharaoh's household, rich, 
university degrees, well-educated, the best. Spoilt brat would be another word of putting it. Okay? Spoilt brat. And this guy that had everything, then he made a major uh, mistake. He killed uh, uh, an Egyptian, and he had to run from his life for his life. And so he spent 40 years on what the Bible and the King James calls the backside of the desert. You know, where the, we have a saying in Spanish, um, donde el diablo perdió su poncho, where the devil lost, lost his cape. Like that, as far away as you could ever get. Okay. And so here is Moses, who, with all his education, is looking after dumb sheep. He's got all this potential, and here he is as a poor guy. And so God speaks to him through a burning bush. And so the question Ian Thomas makes is this. When God wanted to call Moses and change the history, what kind of bush did God use? Was it the tallest bush in the desert? Was it the best-looking bush in the desert? Was it the scrawniest bush in the desert? What kind of bush would God use to change the history of the world? And the answer is, we don't know. But we know that, you see, the bush doesn't matter as long as God is in the bush. That's right. And that is true of my life. I have nothing, but with God, I have everything. Isn't that cool? God is in the bush. Wow. I was in La Plata, which is the capital of the province of Buenos Aires, Argentina. I had just come to Christ. I was 23, and, and somebody said to me, would you mind, we'd like you to speak at a university campus. Would you go there and tell people about Jesus at a university campus? And I, at that time, I was known on television throughout all Latin America, and they said, if we put your picture up, people will come. And so I said, yes. I had never done something like that before in my life. I was scared silly. I was terrified. And so, but I had said yes. And so they rented this auditorium, not of larger, in the La Plata University. This was not a Christian event. There was no Christian anything in it. These were all regular students, normal people. <laughs> and I got up to preach and speak Never done it before in my life. And 65 students committed their lives to Christ for the first time. Why do I tell you that? I tell you that because I have nothing. But with God, I have everything. And God, who is in you, wants you to have confidence to know that when you step out for him, he will come through for you. Ha! That's from the Greek for ha! (laughs) Number three is it takes intentionality. To have passion, to have, we need also focus and intentionality. Look what it says. It says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God. You see, there's no point having passion if you don't have purpose and if you're not doing something. And so we need to be intentional about, now, God, I've got this opportunity, these gifts, What is it that you want me to do? What is it that I can do? There was a a letter that arrived in the tax department in Ottawa, tax people. And the letter had $15,000 in cash inside the envelope. And it had an anonymous letter. And the letter said this, 
I have cheated on my income tax. I have feel bad about it. My conscience is bothering me. I can't sleep. So here is the money. P.S. If I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest. <laughs> and so we need to realize that, that it's not a thing about conscience. That we need to say, God, I am willing to do whatever it takes. In Corinthians, Paul says this. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has made the light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. That we've got this amazing, amazing light that we can shine intentionally to, to people anywhere and everywhere. Wow. I remember when I pastored my first church in Toronto, there was a lady who was 65. She was an older lady, and her husband divorced her, went away with a younger woman, and she was feeling lonely and, and empty, and, and not a Christian, had no religion, but somebody invited her to come to church. You see the power of invitation? You need to invite people to come to this church. This is a good church. And so this lady showed up. Mildred Bryant is her name. And so she prayed to give her life to Christ, as I'm going to let you do in a few moments' time. And she prayed, because the Chinese say that every long journey starts with the first step. And the first step with God is to say, God, I surrender. I need you. Please come to know me. And so she prayed, as I'm going to invite you to do. And her life changed, as mine did when I was 23. And then she came to me and said, I need to do something. And I said, what talents have you got? And she said, well, I like to talk. <laughs> so we put, I put her in charge of a telephone. She would phone all the new people to the church. And she loved talking to people. And they actually loved her. And she would meet them late in the fall. And she ended up with a wonderful ministry. Why? Because she intentionally realized she needed to do something and found something she could do. You can do exactly the same thing. Which takes me to number four. And before I go to number four, I'll read 1 Peter 4.10 because it's there in the notes. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. God is encouraging us, and Paul and Peter are encouraging us that we have gifts and we need to intentionally use them to bless others and to make a difference for God in our world. And that takes me to number four, that it takes brokenness. Brokenness. Look what it says. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Clay is breakable. We are fragile. Have you ever been hurt? Yes. Have you ever had disappointments? Yes. Have you ever physically been hurt? Yes. We're living in a broken world. And we, we break too. In fact, in God's service, only broken vessels will do. God uses broken people. You see, every saint has a past, and every sinner has a future. Do you see that? Wow. There was a, a little boy on a television show, and the interviewer, many years ago, the interviewer said to the little boy, uh, what's your favorite book? And the little boy on T national TV, wanting to please his mother, says, the Bible. So the interviewer smiles and says, so what's your favorite story in the Bible? Now the kid has no idea. So he thinks and says, my favorite story in the Bible is Humpty Dumpty. 
And so the interviewer, with a bigger smile now, says, so what is the Bible story of Humpty Dumpty about? And the little boy says, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put him together again, but Jesus could. (laughs) And that is the truth, that God specializes in healing broken people like me and broken people maybe like you. And it all starts with saying, God, I've been trying to do it on my own. But this evening, I want to say, I want to invite you into my life. The book of Revelation 3.20, the Bible says, Jesus is knocking on the door of our lives. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and sup with him and him with me. Jesus doesn't force himself on anybody. He just says, I'm here. I love you. And he's waiting for us to respond. As I told you, I was 23. Didn't know anything about the Christian faith. And I chose to respond. I tried all sorts of other things to fill the emptiness, and it ended up being lies and deceit. And I said, what have I got to lose? And I prayed. And my prayer was something like this. God, I need you. Forgive me for my sins. I repent of my past. I I believe in Jesus, and I want to grow in this faith. Amen. And that was the first step. Is that where you're at tonight? Maybe there's one person here who's come in and you, like me, are are hurting. You've got a hole in your heart. God seems far, far away. But you would like to know his peace. You'd like to know his forgiveness. God God forgives. My favorite verse in the Bible is 2 Corinthians 5, 17, one of my many favorite verses. He said, if anyone is in Christ, meaning if anyone gives their life to Christ, he is a new creation. God makes us new from the inside out. We is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. God specializes in giving people second chances and third chances and tenth chances. The Bible said that Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins of the world. He died to pay the price of your sin and mine, one that we cannot pay as we just have to receive it as a gift. In Romans 6, 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so God is offering you a gift, but just like with a real gift, it's no good unless you receive it and take it and open the packet and say, This is mine. And the packet is forgiveness and God wanting to give you a new beginning. The Bible calls it being born again, spiritually born. And that could be you. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads in prayer across the auditorium. And if you're a Christian, would you pray for the person next to you and in front of you, behind you? There might be one person here who was like me. And I'm so grateful that someone gave me the opportunity. I'm giving you. And it helped the beginning of changing my life. It hasn't made my life perfect. I still go through storms. But the difference is I have God with me in the storms of life. And you can have God with you in the storms of life. So as everyone's got their eyes closed and head bowed, I'm going to pray the simple prayer. And if you pray it for the first time, you're praying to God, may be a life-changing prayer for you tonight. Dear Jesus, I don't understand all about the Christian faith, but I ask you, O God, to please come into my life. 
I believe that you've been knocking on my life's door for a long time. And this, this evening, I open the door. I say, God, I've tried on my own, and it hasn't worked. I'm missing. It's got to be more to life than this. Jesus, I ask you to come in as my Savior. I repent of my sins and my mistakes and my past, and I ask for your forgiveness. I want to know you and grow in this faith. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I invite you to go to the guest information counter at the back. You go out into the lobby, turn left, and we have free books that we would like to give you. We had, what, eight or eight people commit their lives to Christ in the morning services today. So you just go pick up the books. They're free. Just say, this crazy South American, he, I prayed with him, and they will give you those books for free, which will help you in this great moment. But now let's go back to this brokenness thing, shall we? It says in 2 Corinthians 4.8, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned. And the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul is teaches, and not just here, but in other passages, he teaches that when we are broken, that does not disqualify us from ministry. It doesn't even put us on hold. People say, well, I'm not ready to minister because I have this issue and I have this pain and I'm working through this. No, 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 no. You need to be broken to be used. Yeah. And your brokenness gives you a plus. Uh, I burnt out about maybe 25, 30 years ago. I burnt out. Very successful, going fast, and I burnt out. I had a, a breakdown. I did, and I lost it, and I cried and cried for days, and I was out of control. But God took me in my brokenness and healed me, restored me, gave me a better ministry than I had before. And so what do I do? I talk to pastor groups, and I talk about how I burnt out, and they listen to me because a lot of people in a stressful world have burnt out. And so I'm able to advise them how to watch for the signs but, and how to find the healing that they can have because God can heal. But they listen to me. Why? Because I was broken. Rick Warren, the speaker, the great pastor out of the United States, he, his son, one of his sons, had mental illness and committed suicide. Pastor's son, instead of hiding and saying, oh, no, this has disqualified me. No, he's out now. And his wife is out there talking to groups of people whose kids are committing suicide or thinking about suicide and saying that there's hope and helping them. We can minister out of our brokenness. Isn't that cool? I think it's amazing. I'm having a revival all by myself. I love... How am I doing for time? Okay, I'm, I'm near the end. Okay. All right. Let's go to number five. Number five. And this is my last point. Yay! <laughs> I'm like this all the time. Just ask my wife. <laughs> yeah. Number five is that if we're going to have passion and purpose, we need to realize that life here is only a trial run. That there is an eternity on the other side. That this is like a test. Look what it says in the verse that we're studying. It says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. It's all about God. And one day we will 
all meet God. And on that day, I don't want us to live with regrets. We had opportunities we never took advantage of. We had gifts we never used. No, I want us on that day to be thrilled and so excited that all the things we did for others, God will reward you for. For the light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. That the efforts we make here are nothing, are wonderful and compared to what we're going to see there. There was an old lady, and the old lady was getting to be a nearly 90, and the pastor visits her and, and says, now that you're 90, uh, have you ever thought about the hereafter? And the lady said, oh, yes. Every day when I go into a room, I say, now, why was I here? What was I hereafter? <laughs> I thought that was cute. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, dear. You know what? I tell the jokes mostly for myself. <laughs> and you, you not laughing doesn't make them any funnier. <laughs> so what have we seen here? We've seen that God has taken you, a bunch of clay that's not worth anything or much, and he has molded you for a purpose. Then he's filled you with his gifts and talents and abilities and opportunities so that you can serve him. And as you do it, you'll find passion. You're going to get a sense that you're doing something bigger than yourself. You're contributing. You are making a difference. You are contributing. And lives are being changed and helped. And God is using you. We all need to leave this building, say, God, I want you to use me more than you ever have. And I'm willing to, to leave the stands and get into the field. In Korea... There's this medical doctor. He is a Canadian, and he is a top surgeon. He could be earning six-figure incomes easily here in Canada, a very gifted surgeon. But he has given up his practice to live full-time as a Christian missionary doctor in Korea, not in Seoul, but in some little village in the back of beyond where there's no medical anything where the people are terribly poor, and, and he, he's there doing surgery in a tent, a tent, with the heat, with the mosquitoes, with, a, with lack of resources, in a, just a crummy little tent. A friend goes to visit him and watches how this talented, talented doctor, who could be making tons of money, millions, is looking at the hands, doing surgery on the hands of a dear little Korean woman. And he takes seven hours to do this incredible surgery. And finally, the lady's hands will be able to be used again. She'll be able to hug her children. She'll be able to make a living. He's changed her life. The friend walks back with the surgeon to his office after the surgery, which was a success. And the friend says to him, how much do you get paid for doing that surgery. Oh, he said, and he pulls out one little copper coin, like 25 cents, bent coin. And he says, the lady came to see me and asked if this, all she had, this one coin, was sufficient to pay for the surgery. And he said, yes, that's just the right amount. I got this money. 
But you know what I got also? I got the feeling that for seven hours in that surgery, Jesus was working through these hands. And Jesus was working through these hands to heal one of his children. That is priceless, he said. Have you ever felt God use you? I hope you have. There's a thrill, a sense of satisfaction, a humbleness that comes to know that God uses broken vessels like me and you where we're willing to surrender and to say, God, I'm available and step out of the boat. God wants to use you greater than you've ever been used before. I'm going to close by asking you to do something. I'm going to invite you to stand as we close. And I'm going to invite Pastor Paul to please come back to the, back, to the, to the stage. The surgeon said, God took my hands, and through my hands, Jesus healed one of his own. I invite you to put your hands up. As a sign of to God, I dedicate my hands, that you will use my hands to heal, to bring hope, to people around me, in my neighborhood, in my family. God, I lift my hands to you. These are just hands. But Lord, we want you to use these hands in Jesus' name, that we would have the joy unspeakable and full of glory as we see you using us to change one life at a time. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. God bless you all. Amen. Thank you, David, for coming and sharing with us tonight. And amen. Thank you. Amen. We're going to close in a word of prayer, but I want to just leave you with a verse of Scripture. It's found in the book of Romans. And I know it's speaking about Jesus, but I think the application can be used for us as well. It said, by one man's life, many became righteous. One man's obedience, many became righteous. Next part of that verse goes through one man's disobedience disobedience, sin entered the world. Speaking of Adam's sin. When you and I do what God asks us to do, it's powerful. Because not only does it affect a profound change in us, but it brings blessing to so many other people. And when you look back in hindsight, you don't look back in regret. You just say, Lord, it's so good that I did what you asked me to do. Because good things will flow from that. But when you and I, as David pointed out, when we start living when it's about us, it's a very small world. We're very unhappy. There's very little meaning and significance and purpose in that life. And what happens in our lives is our lives get short-circuited. And many other people who would have been blessed if we'd have been obedient, now they are affected in a negative way. And so it's not just about what happens in our lives, but our obedience affects so many people around us. So tonight when you said, Lord, I want to be used of you, let's just pray. You know, I shared this a couple of weeks ago. I said, what year are we coming to? And, every, and we're coming to the year 2020. When I say those words, what's the first thought that goes in your mind? Vision. And I shared that day, I said, you know, it's powerful when you and I get God's vision for our personal lives. And then we get God's vision for our church life. We get God's vision for our nation. God wants to change our vision. And a lot of discouragement comes because we have the wrong vision. 
God wants us to have his vision. And so let's pray tonight as we continue to move out here. I believe that this coming year, and I said this too, and I believe with all my heart that the days in front of us are going to be greater than the days behind us. You have now come to be a part of a church that the future is going to be greater than its past. And we've had an amazing past, folks. We've seen God do amazing things. But I believe God is doing even greater things right now, and he will do even greater things tomorrow. When you and I say, Lord, I'm going to be a part of it, I'm going to be obedient, God's going to use you beyond what you could even ask, think, or imagine. I believe that with all of my heart to be more fruitful than we've ever been, to be more effective than we've ever been, to see more lives transformed than we've ever seen because our nation is in a dire condition and they really need people like you and me to be obedient to God. Amen? So, Lord, we pray to that end that that will happen. We thank you, Lord, for our brother David who came to remind us of these beautiful truths. We thank you for those that have responded today. We thank you for their lives, Lord. And they've begun the first step on an amazing journey with you, a, a journey that will bring transformation in their lives, and not only in their lives, but in the lives of many people to come. And we thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you leave. Thank you for coming.